The Way BK podcast is dedicated to pursuing and promoting a true understanding of Jesus Christ and the transformation he provides for all who submit to him to live in a way that is pleasing to God as revealed in the Bible. Let's join our hosts as they discuss The Way. I recently had a really amazing um, and encouraging and just I don't know, almost surprising. I shouldn't be surprised anymore, I guess, at these kinds of conversations. But I had this great conversation with this young man. And he had recently really new to faith stuff, really new to church stuff, and he had come to a Bible study series. And he had heard some teaching about what Jesus had said about turning the other cheek, right? If you're uh, someone, um, you know, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, but I say to you, don't resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn on the left. If he asks for your shirt, give him your coat, all that kind of stuff. And this young man said, so listen, man, i got to talk more about that. Are you telling me that if somebody harms me, somebody attacks me, somebody mistreats me, that I've just got to kind of take it? Is that is that what I'm understanding correctly from you about that? And it was so sincere and so genuine. We had a great conversation uh, about all that. And I thought to myself after the conversation, how many Christians feel that way? How many people who are followers of Jesus? And whether you're somebody listening to this who is a follower of Jesus or you're not a follower of Jesus, you might say the same exact thing. Are you telling me that if if somebody, if it's between me being harmed and that other person being harmed, that I have to take the harm? Of course, by the way, Jesus and other uh, Christians exemplified that if you can escape harm, that's good. If you can avoid or diffuse the situation, that's good. But if the what Jesus is saying is if the choice is between you being harmed or the other person being harmed, you take the choice to take the harm. And how many of us think that does not make any sense? And maybe in certain circumstances, but I just can't imagine and I just don't, it doesn't, it doesn't compute for me. Why would you let that happen? You know, there's a story in the life of David that is a little bit like that. King Saul has grown to hate David. I mean, his jealousy and his envy of David's acceptance by God and his acceptance by the people has driven Saul frankly, insane, um, and more than insane, into spiritual evil and darkness where there's even an evil spirit from the Lord that's controlling, uh, influencing, I think we could say, Saul's actions to make him do all sorts of wicked things. And David's on the run, and there's two stories that are almost identical that happened during this time, where David had the opportunity to enact violence against Saul, but he doesn't. And in these stories, we learn a really, really important principle, an important idea that should dictate our behaviors in everything, whatever God may tell us about. So 1 Samuel 24 and 26 is where these stories are found. In 1 Samuel 24, David and his men are hiding out in a cave while they're on the run. And Saul ends up coming to the same cave. Uh, and He goes in to relieve himself. David here has an opportunity to take Saul's life, to kill him. But he chooses not to. I'll add to it, his men are actually encouraging him. Hey, now's your chance. Saul's been coming after you. You should take him out. Do it. Go get him. And David says, no, I'm not going to do it. Why would you not do that, David? He's trying to kill you. Besides, you're the anointed one. You're the one that God said is going to be king. And Yeah, I know Saul was anointed, but you're going to be the future king. You're the one God promised. You're the man after God's own heart. Why don't you take Saul out and liberate the people of this terrible king who's ruining our nation and, and save yourself from the danger? But David says, no, I'm not going to do it. There's a, a parallel, similar story in 1 Samuel chapter 26 where Saul encamps near to where David's men are. And David and one of his chief soldiers, Ab- Abishai, uh, they 
they go down into the camp to kind of sneak in and see what's going on. Now, while they're there, it's a little bit different this time. Abishai knows that uh, that David has told them, I'm not going to kill Saul. I'm not going to do it. Uh, and so instead of encouraging David to do it, Abishai himself volunteers that he'll be the one who will take him out. If you look there in verse uh, uh, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 26 and uh, beginning around verse 8, he says, hey, let, let's do this. He even says it this way. He says, I won't strike him twice. In other words, I'll take him out for real the first time. You don't have to worry about it. And once again, David says, no, do not do that. You're not allowed. I, give, I do not give you permission to kill King Saul. Why? Why was it? Was it pity that stayed David's hand? Was it just affection that he had for this man who was, you know, not, not exactly a father figure, but kind of close in the early times. He's working with Saul. Saul's his king. David's the chief commander and all that. What was it? Well, look at 1 Samuel 24, and you actually get an explanation from David about what kept him from killing Saul, beginning about verse 5. It says, Afterward, David's conscience bothered him, or his heart struck him, because he had cut off the corner of Saul's road. By the way, whenever David's men were telling him, hey, you've got this great circumstance, Saul's here, you could kill him, just take him out. David doesn't kill him, but he cuts off the corner of Saul's robe, which he ends up kind of waving around to show Saul from between, a, there's a little valley between them later, and he's saying, hey, look, here's proof that I could have killed you, but I didn't. He does a similar thing in chapter 26 with some implements that Saul had there with him um, while he was at war. He holds these things up say, hey, look, I could have killed you, but I didn't do it, right? Um, but anyway, so David's heart struck him even for doing that, not even for uh, killing Saul. He didn't kill him, but even for... Um, I don't know, dishonoring Saul by cutting his robe or whatever you want to call that. David, his heart struck him because of that. Then, verse 6, he said to his men, I swear before the Lord, I would never do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed. I will never lift my hand against him, since he is the Lord's anointed. With these words, David persuaded his men, and he did not let them rise up against Saul. If you skip down to verse 10, he's speaking to, to Saul now. He says, you can see with your own eyes that Yahweh, the Lord, handed you over me today to kill you. Uh, excuse me, today in the cave. And someone advised me to kill you. But I took pity on you and said, I won't lift my hand against my Lord since he is Yahweh's anointed. What was it? that cultivated pity in David's heart? What was it that made him show this grace and kindness and forgiveness to this man who was hunting him down? What was it? He was the Lord's anointed. In other words, David had thought through, okay, look, I know that here I have a circumstance that would allow me to take this man out. And it would remove a lot of problems for me if I would do it. Not only problems for me, but problems for everybody. Here I have this circumstance that really makes it seem that shit, the circumstance should dictate that I go ahead and kill him. But I'm not going to. Well, why, David? And by the way, the why, David, came with a lot of pressure from his men. Men who may not stay faithful, may decide to form a mutiny against David and leave him. Uh, but David says, no, I'm not going to do it. Well, why, David? I will not lift my hand against the Lord's anointed. David was a man of principle. He knew what was right, and he was going to do what was right because of what God had said and what God had done. He wasn't being dictated by circumstances or what he felt or what he wanted. He was a man of principle. 
A lot of us are determine our choices based on circumstance. We decide what we're going to do based on what people say or what people think or what the the moment seems like, right? If I do, if I obey God in this arena, then this bad thing will happen. Or if I don't obey God in this arena, this will brew something good for me. David did not make his decisions based on circumstance. A lot of us also make our decisions not on circumstance, but on social pressure. Well, everybody thinks this, or everybody's telling me I should do that, or everybody else is doing this or that, or the third thing, or they're not doing this thing, so I'm not going to do it. I know God said to do it, or God wants this, but it's not what the, the, the people around me are doing or saying or thinking, and so I'm going to go the opposite way. Circumstance and social pressure so often are what dictate our choices. David, though, was not, he didn't determine his actions based on circumstance or by social pressure. He made his decisions based on principle. Now, David's commitment to behaving based on principle rather than on circumstance or on social pressure uh, is, is honestly something that was pretty central to what made him someone who was pleasing to God who was central to God's purposes. In Acts chapter 13, whenever God spoke about David or whenever um, uh, Paul and, and Barnabas are quoting what the Scripture had to say about David, it says that David was a man after God's heart who would do all his will. So fulfilling of God's purpose and doing God's will, this is really central to who David was and what he was all about, that he was a really principled man in all the things that he did. All right, and what that means is that Really, we should be people who similarly are principled, committed to doing what's right, not determined by circumstance, not determined by social pressure. And this applies to so many different uh, arenas of life in in Jesus Christ. Uh, I just want to talk about one in particular and then maybe tie this back to where we started a few minutes ago to, to finish it up. Think about the last time a bunch of your friends were together talking what did the conversation turn to? What did people want to talk about? Maybe it was really wholesome stuff. Uh, Maybe it was even, it'd be amazing, uh, God's word and the work of the kingdom and the meaning of the gospel and what you've been praying about or, you know, some hymn that's really moved you or uh, how someone served you and helped you see Christ in them. Whatever the case may be, that'd be amazing, right? Perhaps the conversation was about things that were uh, wholesome, not, not, the most spiritual but wholesome things, right? Uh, and maybe in that way, very much spiritual things, but still good things, fine things. More often than not, though, do you find yourself in conversations where people are engaging in gossip? And what I mean is talking about other people in ways that are negative, critical, uh, are complaints against them, criticisms of them that probably wouldn't be issued to their face and only would be said behind their back. Maybe the best way to define gossip is to speak about other people in ways that are not constructive for them. They do not build them up. Um, Even Christians many times can do this. And I say even Christians can say, oh, I would never. Besides, when I talk about other people, it's always about prayer. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Sometimes I think Christians, we can be like, hey, you need to pray for so-and-so. Oh, really? What happened to them? Really what that is, is Christian code for you want to gossip a little bit and pretend like we're being spiritual. Yes, that'd be great. Let's do it. Look, we got to watch out for this. And it's really easy 
to let circumstance and or social pressure draw us into the sin of gossip. By the way, go check out Romans chapter 1 if you want to know how serious gossip is as a sin. How often is it that I've been hurt? Somebody did something or didn't treat me the way I think I ought to have been treated, or maybe legitimately, objectively, should not have been treated that way. They mistreated me. They did something wrong to me. And so then I say, I can't. I can't believe that. Can you believe that they? And then you see a friend and you talk about them behind and about the person who did you dirty. And then you see another friend. And you're like, oh, so-and-so did such and such. And I don't mean, hey, I'm trying to figure this out. How do we deal with this? I just don't know what to do. Can you give me some advice? Can you give me some counsel? But I just wanna, I just wanna spill the tea on this person. I just wanna throw some dirt on their name. How often do we do that? Because of circumstance. I think I'm kind of entitled to. Committing this sin, by the way, if we want to call it what it is, I'm entitled to committing this sin because this person did something really bad. The circumstances warrant it. What would David say to us? Saul did all these horrible things. Saul was certainly a sinner. Saul had done David dirty, and yet David was committed to the principle, what he knew was right, regardless of the circumstance. Similarly, social pressure. Some of us say, I don't want to be a gossip. I don't want to talk bad about people. I don't want to do that. I'm not going to. And even if they do you bad, you're not going to do that. But then there you are. And the conversation starts percolating and maybe it's people you're comfortable with. And all of a sudden we're talking about somebody or somebody's. And really the way we're talking about them, it's not something that's constructive. It's not something that's coming from love. It's not something that, that gives any kind of honor to that person. It's just to make them look bad. It's just to make them look stupid in the eyes of everybody else. It's just to prove how we're so much better than them or smarter than them, more righteous than them or, or whatever. Social pressure. And at first, you're like, I don't want to engage this. I don't want to do it. But then the further it goes, the more you just find yourself participating in this sinful activity of gossip. I think this is something, and by the way, you could go down so many different paths just with speech, um, you know, cursing, swearing, lying. Um, I don't know. I mean, keep going with speaking in an angry manner. There's all kinds of circumstances and social pressures that make us think, ah, I'm allowed to do this. I'm entitled to do this. I have permission to do this. We cannot be people who operate that way. We need to be people who are like David, have our hearts directed to God, have hearts that are in line with His, and operate based on principle, not on circumstance and not on social pressure. And and I'll say... That's actually uh, what Jesus said for everything. We started at the top about Jesus' instructions when it came to violence, when it came to turning the other cheek. That, of course, has relevance for what David did and how David actually modeled turning the other cheek in uh, 1 Samuel chapters 24 and 26. And really, turning the other cheek is something we have to do a lot of times with our speech. Someone speaks ill of you or mistreats you, you turn the other cheek. You don't gossip about them behind their back. You don't mistreat them in response to that. And listen to the reason that Jesus gave. You ready for this? In Matthew 5, beginning in verse 38, is where we have the instruction about turning the other cheek and all this sort of thing. But I want you to listen, beginning in verse 43, as he continues the thought. He says, You've heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is continuation of the turn the other cheek instruction. So that you may be children of your Father who is in heaven. How does that make you children of your Father in heaven if you turn the other cheek, if you love your enemies, if you, what is it that makes you children of your Father? Well, it's because you're operating on this principle. 
For he causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Uh, Even the Gentiles do the same, excuse me. You are to be perfect, therefore, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. Here's what Jesus teaches. The guiding principle that should dictate every action we engage in, every sin we refrain from, every good deed that we do, is the grace of God. God has been good to us. And because of His goodness, we must learn to operate in submission to His will. If He's been good to us, and if He is good, then whatever He commands us is good. And so we don't make our decisions based on circumstance of the moment or the pressures of people around us. We make our decisions based on the principled belief that we have, that our God is gracious, that He is good, that His will, His commandments, His word to us is good, and we're going to follow that wherever it may lead. The aim of The Way BK is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ across Brooklyn and beyond. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.thewaybk.com.